Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning. We just had a, a funny moment there where uh, the, the person that was operating the camera um, was told to get a little more cross and a little less viv. And basically, that's my preach today, a little more cross and a little less viv. And I want to follow on from what Steve was talking about last Sunday about fire. And we're back in 1 Peter again, um, but this time we're in chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles together, we're going to read Chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verses 12 to 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I I really miss the interaction of people, uh, people actually sitting in front of me, because I just want to ask the question, just want to imagine that everyone's sitting in front of me, I want to ask the question, is anybody else going through trials at the moment? And I'd love to be able to see your faces and just to see your responses. But from the conversations that I've been having with people over, over the last few weeks, it seems as though if you were all sitting in front of me, I'd see lots of nodding heads. And Steve talked about this last week. He talked from 1 Peter 6, uh, 1, 1 Peter 1 verses 6 and 7. And we're just going to read that again as well. And it says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. And you can see the similarity in these passages, can't you? If we go back to the first one, it says, Dear friends, Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you, as if something strange was happening to you. And this word fiery ordeal, it's the Greek word purosis, burning, a fiery ordeal, calamities or trials that test the character. And the word purify, that comes from this same Greek word purosis. And so the word purosis, it means a refiner's fire, a fire that purifies, a fire that cleanses, a fire to which you put the metal to and it comes out pure. I don't know whether you saw last week, Tabitha mentioned in, in the Facebook comments that um, apparently a silversmith, um, if, you're, if you watch them at work, they, 
they uh, hold a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. And it needs to be held in the middle of the fire where the flames are the hottest. And it burns away all the impurities. And the silversmith has to sit there in front of the fire and keep an eye on the silver uh, the entire time it's in the fire. Because if it's kept there too long, it's going to be damaged. But do you know how the silversmith knows when the silver is fully refined? Anyone know? It's when the silversmith can see their face in the silver. And that's what God does to us. That's what Jesus does. He puts us through the fire until he can see his own image reflected in us. That's the idea behind this word purosis. And it says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you to prove you, to test you. And that's what it says, to show you what you really are. It actually comes from a root word that actually means to poke or to pierce. You know, if you want to you know, know what something's really like, you kind of poke it, don't you? Um, and if you think about a refiner's fire, physically, when you put metal onto a fire, the metal ore, it contains both the pure and the impure, the worthy and the worthless, the pure metal, the dross. And in normal conditions, a piece of iron ore, it has both the metal and the dross, and those two things are linked together. And you can't tell where one starts and the other stops. In normal temperatures, normal atmospheric conditions, that they're together. And so why do you put it in the fire? The fire creates separation. The fire creates the conditions in which those two things can no longer stay alongside. Because the pure can handle the fire, but the impure can't. And therefore, the, the fire separates the two. And that means depending on the nature of the rock that goes into the fire, sometimes the rock will be incinerated if it's nothing but dross. Other times, the rock will come out with very little change. Um, in most cases, it goes through and it's very changed. And so what does this mean to us spiritually? Spiritually, a trial or a trouble is that which shows you what you really trust. It shows you what you're made of. Troubles and trials, they're all about trust. We, we have divided hearts. We, we just don't really know it until we go through the fire. Just like a piece of ore, you can't really know how pure it is until you put it through the fire and see what's left. And in the same way, in, like in our hearts, we have this kind of amalgam of allegiances, things that we trust, and we have no idea what those things are or how inadequate they are. And we don't actually learn to put more and more of our functional trust in Jesus unless you go through the fire. You can't refine metal ore without heat. And in the same way, you can't grow into deeper trust in God without troubles. And so there's just three things. There's three things that troubles and trials show you. They show you what you really trust in. They show you the invalid nature, the inadequacy of those things that you trust in. And they just teach you to really trust in God. And so we, we all start out the Christian life, don't we, saying, yeah, I trust God completely, I worship him, I live for him. But the fact is there are just many, many things alongside of God that we trust in as well. We trust in this and that. We have no idea how much we trust in those things until they're threatened. You have no idea how much your allegiance is bound up in them in, until circumstances threaten to remove them or, or destroy them. 
You may not have even felt that they were a problem. But then a trial comes along to help you separate your allegiance to God and your allegiance to other things. And you see, that goes along with this idea of the furnace. The metal ore in normal atmospheric conditions, the two things, the pure and the impure, can live together. But in the furnace, they can't. When things are going well, when circumstances are going well, when you, when, when you might call we're living in normal atmospheric conditions, your allegiances can live together. God and other things. And you have no idea how much these other things have a hold on your heart, but it's only when the fire comes, whenever those things are threatened, whenever those things look like they're slipping out of your grasp, that you work out where your allegiances are. And I, I don't know about you, but it feels like as, as though I've been in the fire recently. I think Steve said last week, it's almost as if the whole world has been in the fire. Things have just been stripped away. My allegiances have been tested. And, and I feel like Jesus is saying to me, am I enough for you? Am I actually enough for you? I, I'm, I'm not sure it feels as if the fire's finished yet either. It feels like it's still burning. And it may be burning differently for, for different people. It could be that you have no idea how much your career means to you. And you say, I trust God, but then it's suddenly cut away from under you. I, I know in this current situation, people have, uh, so many people have just suddenly been made redundant or lost their jobs. And in that situation, to trust and obey God is really hard. But it's only in those situations that you can discover what your trusts are. It's so easy to say, I trust in Jesus and think we're fine. But it's when those trials come, when those trusts come into a conflict is that we really know. And the important thing for us to see is that when the fire comes, the only way for us to grow and not be incinerated is to go the Jesus way. Jesus only. And so my first point is just that fires show us where our real trusts are. Fires show us where we don't live for God. And secondly, the fires incinerates and destroys the unimportant. It destroys the dross. It shows you that the gold is more valuable than the dross because the gold can take the fire, but the dross can't. And in the same way, it's in the fire that you see the inadequacy of those false trusts. And this is where lockdown's been so hard, isn't it? Like all the things that we had no idea how important they were to us have been stripped away. But personally, it feels like it's more than that as well. It feels like it's deeper than just holidays or brunch or, you know, what, like not being able to see people. It feels like it's deeper than that. I feel as though God is wanting to burn away all kinds of attachments in us, all kinds of character issues, blind spots. And I feel like I, I am and, and, and still am. I feel like um, all these attachments are having to come off me feels like we're being emptied of so much. And it feels like we're being invited to let go of everything. And the, the fact of the matter is, when we're facing the troubles of life, any other functional trust, any other functional priority, except God himself, will disintegrate on you. It's only in the fire that you exercise your will in that way and, and develop the muscles of trust. There's, um, there's other metaphors in the Bible as well as fire that the Bible uses to describe how a Christian needs to think about trials. In, in Hebrews, it talks about a coach with an athlete. 
It talks about parents with children, disciplining children. It talks about the vine dresser pruning the vine. John's, uh, Jesus says in John 15, he says, you're the branches, my father will prune you. And I don't know if you've ever seen a vine pruned. Uh, to my completely ignorant eye, it just looks like a complete waste. You see all these um, uh, beautiful green leaves all over the ground and even little clusters of grapes that have started forming but haven't fully formed. And there, there's, there's this poor vine bleeding in a hundred places. But to the wise eye, the wise eye knows that a good vine dresser has just taken off anything that wasn't, in, what wasn't essential. A wise eye knows that actually the productivity and the life of the vine has been enhanced by that pruning. You see, you see what a coach does with an athlete. You see what the vine dresser does with the vine. You see what the refiner does with the ore. You see what parents do with children. And in every case, they're given something, put into their hands, and it's their job to bring out the beauty, to bring out the productivity, to bring out the greatness of it. And what do they do? They burn it, they stretch it, they discipline it, they prune it, and it, it looks like they may be trying to kill it. But to the wise eye, in every single case, this is the way they grow. And at this point, you might be thinking, if this is Christianity, if this is like following Jesus, I'm out. Like, get me out of here. Like, why would I want to do that? You've got to be kidding me. You're telling me that if I pray, God, you know, make me more like you, Jesus. Make me into a person of love. Make me wise. Make me courageous. That actually you're going to bring into my life furnaces, discipline, and troubles. And the answer is actually yes. And you might be saying, well, I just need to get out then. But let me tell you what the Bible says. It says, it says when troubles come into your life, they're mercy. The Bible says that the only way that God can make you into the person that he intends you to be is to bring into your life sometimes things that look irrational and that don't make sense, to bring delayed gratification. If you've, if you've ever been around little kids, there's no way to turn little kids into mature adults without them constantly accusing you of cruelty. There's no way you can bring those children up without them constantly saying, that's not fair, and why did you do that? What's wrong with you? But as an adult, you know their mercy. Their mercy is merciful while you're, while you're bringing those things into that child's life. And, and I just want to say this morning, God is a good father. He is a good father, way better than any other father that you have ever known. And so anything that comes into your life, it is for your good, it's mercy. And I know times when uh, I've been really, I've been through really difficult circumstances where those are the times where I've grown and matured. It's not been the everything's fine times. It, and there's no way that I'd want to ask for that or have stuff happen all over again. But I'm also not sure I'd change it because, what, uh, because of what God has done in my heart. And I think, I think the challenge is so often that I might pray, God, you know, protect me from that trial, protect me from this. But, uh, but, or, you know, like, get me out of here. But actually, I could be saying, God, refine me in this. Change me, change my heart. And that's a really hard position to be in. But I think that's the, that's the kind of 
the slight change of the, of emphasis almost. I I feel really stretched at the moment, really pruned, really challenged, quite overwhelmed, if I'm honest. And I'm not saying this to get loads of messages of sympathy, but I say this because I just don't think I'm on my own. And I think we have an invitation as a church to surrender again to God, to invite him into the fire, to, to invite him almost to keep us in the fire until we become more like him, to keep burning away any attitudes that aren't like Jesus, to keep burning away our pride, to keep us in the fire until we start looking like him. The, the question I posed a number of weeks ago when we, we were talking about sowing and reaping was, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming in this time? And this is what the fire is doing. And although I'm desperate to get out of it, I actually want to stay in because I want to become more like Jesus. That's my heart. That's my heart to become more like him. And actually, if it means staying in the fire, then I've got to stay in the fire. And so a fiery ordeal, it comes on you to prove you, to show you what's in your heart, to, to teach you to grasp and to hold on. But what are, you, what are you supposed to do? How do you actually respond? And there's a number of statements in this passage that I read, first of all, that I'm just going to touch on very, very briefly before coming down to land. There's three things that I want to, uh, that you can do when this fiery trial hits. Some people go through fiery trials and they just come out bitter and cynical and hard-hearted. And other people go through the same trials and yet they come out more compassionate and stronger because it depends on how you respond. The first clue is in the first verse, in verse 12. It basically says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I, lo I love that kind of like normal language. And you'll notice if you go through the book of Peter, you'll see that Peter never says don't grieve. He doesn't say don't, don't be in pain. He's not saying be happy that you're suffering. He's not saying be a masochist. But he, I mean, he does say rejoice, but because as a Christian, we can identify with the sufferings of Christ. It's like we walk, we can walk in the same shoes that Jesus walked. But it doesn't say that a Christian is happy or goes after pain. In fact, it says in chapter one, you will go through pain. You will be in heaviness. And it's expected that you will cry. It's expected that you'll weep. That's not what he's saying here. But he is saying, don't be surprised. And Jesus gave us a bit of a heads up in John 16, where he says, in this world, you will have troubles. In this world, you will have troubles. And this is a fact of life. And I think this isn't a kind of fatalistic resignation to life, but I kind of feel it makes you a bit more grounded. If we're expecting, with life, if we're expecting life with Jesus to be easy, we're going to be thrown off course pretty quickly. You will not handle trials if you're surprised that they're happening. If you're saying, how could this be happening to me? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a good person. Doesn't the Bible say that God loves me? What's going on? This isn't, this isn't supposed to be happening to me. And I think this is the thing that can lead to entitlement. It can lead to bitterness and it can lead to disillusionment. And so Peter is saying here, don't be surprised. Don't have any illusions that your life is going to be rosy because that mindset will trip you up. It will massively trip you up. 
So firstly, don't be surprised. Secondly, it says obey. It says if, if you're suffering, not as a murderer, not as a thief, not even as a meddler, the most important thing for you to do in your trials is to obey. And it's so easy to disobey, isn't it? When you go through troubles, it's very easy to just stop praying, stop engaging with church. It's very easy to stop serving other people because you're sort of absorbed in your own troubles. It's very easy to turn your back on God or to do what I would call like escape sins. Um, things that you just, you kind of know that are wrong, but they just might give you a little brief high to, to make, to help you cope with the, the bad feelings. But you see, if, if you meet trials with obedience, that will be what makes you into a, into a great heart. But sin, it hardens you, it embitters you, it makes you more selfish. So the challenge is to, is to like stay put, like stay connected to God. Keep crying out to him in the middle of any trials. He may not promise to get us out immediately, but he does promise to be there right in there with us. Which leads me neatly on to point number three, which is commit yourself to your faithful creator and continue to do good. And the word commit here, it means to make a deposit. You only make a deposit in a bank which you trust or a bank that's insured. So why can we trust God? Why can we say, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you? Here's why. All the other religions of the world, nobody has got what we've got. There's lots of wisdom in other religions, but Christianity is the only religion where you've got a God that suffered. He suffered. Even Judaism, our closest cousin, as a religion, we've, you know, we've, built our, we've built Christianity on the shoulders of Judaism, but they don't even have this, this idea that God could actually suffer. Jesus Christ suffered socially. Everything that you've ever suffered, rejection, loneliness, he suffered physically more than we can ever understand. He suffered spiritually. He suffered, he experienced like tremendous alienation and desolation, being cut off from God in ways that we will never experience. Here is a God who, when you are suffering, you can go to and he will go, I know what you mean. Just think about it. All the other gods as they're depicted in other religions, what do they say? They just say, well, you better be good. You've got to behave a little bit more. They don't know what it's like to be hurt. They don't know what it's like to be lonely. They don't know what it's like to be facing death. And that's the only thing we can do. We commit ourselves to him. We trust that he knows what he's doing. We surrender again to him, knowing that he totally understands our pain and our trials. And this is, this is why we say, Holy Spirit, come. This is why we say, Holy Spirit, come. Come and meet us here. We thank you that you're refining us, but thank you that your presence never leaves us. And we just, we, again, we just say this morning, help us to trust you again today. Help us to commit ourselves, to, to trust you, to, to never be surprised because we see that the ordeal, the fiery ordeals are there to, to turn us into something so pure that Jesus can see his face in us. And God, we just pray this dangerous prayer again this morning. We just say, make us more like you. Make us more like you. Change our hearts, God. Keep us in the fire until we reflect you. 
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.